Well, good morning. It's uh, great to have you with us. Hope you've enjoyed uh, time with family and friends. It's great to have you gathered with us this morning here at Grace. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and then Pastor Adam's going to come and welcome and go into the rest of our service. We're looking forward to partaking of the Lord's table this morning and talking about the new year. So let's begin our service this morning. Amazing love, how can it be that thou shouldst die for me? Join me as we sing. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to Oh, fear is gone. Be- 
cross I know He holds the future And life is worth the living Just because He lives You may be seated. This morning we're going to be doing things a little bit uh, differently in the sense that we're going to be taking time to observe the communion and kind of invest some thought and some energy into that experience together. And our usher is going to make ready here in just a minute to actually distribute those elements to you and to share that in just a minute. And uh, so we welcome you here today. Uh, there are uh, some different things that we come into this building with today. And uh, for those of us who are part of our church family, our hearts go out to uh, the Welshes and the Burnettes, but also this morning got word that uh, uh, Richard Redding is now in the presence of our Lord. And uh, so he can be in prayer for Linda. Uh, it's hard. This is not an easy time of the year to lose loved ones. And at the same time, you know, there is that realization that no matter when in the year it happens, it's never easy. And thinking about that and what we are here today to, to remind ourselves of and what this new year, uh, which by the way happens tomorrow, whether you like it or not, we're into a new year, uh, the calendar just runs out. You know, it's like you come to it and it's done. But uh, as we think about that and all the things that in this last year and the people, the faces that are no longer part of our community, but also the many faces that are a part of our community and such an Ecclesiastes moment, the realization that God has a plan and a purpose and there is something that he is doing. And I love that thought in Ecclesiastes where he has put eternity into our hearts. And so we realize that even though a calendar changes and, and days come and they go, and so does life here upon this earth, we're grateful for the promise of what eternity represents. And so today we're going to take time even to spend some thought on what it means to understand not only the brevity of life, but also the assurance of life and what we have in the person of our Lord. As we open our time here this morning and uh, thinking about those that we're caring for, and uh, we have several that are still away traveling, making their way back over this weekend. Uh, so Bobby Smith, he had to come in this morning and do something, and uh, he's got family coming in, couldn't stay. But um, just different ones, and our hearts go out to them, and we're reminded of that, that uh, the sense of what it is and what life and everything that's going on with that. But at the same time, just grateful, aren't you? What a season to rejoice and to be grateful for the love of a Savior, the gift of our God, and the assurance that we have of something that is eternal. As we open our time here this morning with a word of prayer and prepare our hearts to worship, to reflect, to be in many ways given sources of, of introspection and inspection, I hope that God will challenge our hearts even this morning. Let's go to him at this time. Father, we're, we're here today. And Lord, I know as I look upon the faces of many here, there are those things that we are challenged by. There are those areas in our life that um, the burdens that we carry, the things that we know are our responsibility. We're grateful though that we do not sit here as people that are left destitute without hope, without strength, 
Lord, we're grateful for your assurance, your confidence, your compassion to us, the way that you love us. Lord, I thank you for the measure of that expressed in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that as today we focus upon the table, the aspect of where you sat with those 12 men and all those that were with you there in that upper room, and then you gave to us this example of something that we would hold on to, latch on to, as a way of reminding us of your compassion, your willingness, your plan, your purpose, your, your ability to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to magnify you in everything that's done here today. Lord, we could get so focused on ourselves, our grief, our loss, our suffering, get focused upon the abuses, the the challenges, the struggles. And yet, Lord, we're grateful that it's not in this world that you promised necessarily things to get better, but in something that you're creating, something new, something better. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be enamored with you and focused upon your sufficiency, your strength, your power, your presence. Lord, I thank you for the person of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you will strengthen our time in this morning's gathering as we come together as the church, the visible representation of your people gathered into this room, into this place, to behold you as our God. And may you be seen in our hearts, but, Lord, manifest in our lives. And, Lord, may you truly challenge us today. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I want to make sure our ushers are ready, and I'd like to go ahead at this time and pass these elements out and uh, allow us the opportunity today to focus in on what it is that this table time, this reflection of Christ in a moment where uh, he was giving to his disciples uh, a, a, really in many ways an example of what was coming and what would be a testimony of his grace. As we do this today, uh, there this uh, this, you can go ahead there, gentlemen, and just go ahead and start distributing them. If you are willing to participate, go ahead and take one. And uh, this is a way for us to just join together and to kind of take a moment. And uh, in a minute, we will open these at the respective places where we'll be observing the different elements. And uh, so taking opportunity, uh, as we did mention, uh, and you know, I, I don't mean this to take away from, we do have gluten-free. Uh, we've had, you know, it's something that we've recognized for the health of our congregation. And uh, those are available in our foyer. If you'd like to get one, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. But today what I want to do is we're going to be taking some time to consider what our Lord has done for us and to really take a moment to examine our situation of life based upon really what we would describe as the effects of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to use 2 Corinthians, so you can go ahead and turn there with me, 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at two different chapters in this, chapters 4 and 5 this morning, taking some time to look at this as the source of our inspection of these things. What you're going to find, though, as we read through this is that we don't find the Lord's Supper in either one of these chapters, but we do see the Lord and what he was illustrating by the Lord's Supper, by what Paul reflects upon in these two chapters. As we take the very familiar experience for us that are part of the church, part of the body of Christ, and if you're not, I hope that you'll bear with us. This may be a little bit foreign to you. Perhaps this is something that you're not as accustomed to. 
And those of you that are joining us online, as you think about your participation with us in worship and observing this, I hope that we will truly take it to heart as to what Christ is illustrating through this experience with those men in that upper room. Second Corinthians chapter four, and let me begin in chapter four, verse one. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And therefore we do not lose heart, But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul begins this chapter was something that he's referring to. It comes really out of some thoughts that he has already expressed in chapters two and three. If you look back to chapter three and verse 18, he says, but we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. And so he picks that thought up and he talks about these things that are veiled, the things that are secret, the things that he has received, this ministry that he has received. And, and the understanding is what Paul is saying is we're not believing in something that's now hidden or something that is based upon a, a crafting of some religious handbook from a human design. We are expressing our faith in the gospel, which is the good news, that God loved us so much and sent a plain representation of that love. 
It's not obscured by riddle. It's not given as some secret handshake. It's the truth that he wants the world to know. He says in chapter 4 and verse 2 that it's the manifestation of truth. And this is what truly speaks then to the conscience. In 4.3, he's talking about that if, if it is still something that is hidden, it's hidden to those who refuse to let the veil of their sin, their religiosity, and their feeble attempts to, in some ways, be good enough for or even better than God. And our God who called everything out of nothing, who created our very existence, even the light that we enjoy within the day of our existence is the one who is capable of shining the light of truth upon our hearts and to lead our lives out of what we would describe as a spiritual darkness. And then Paul takes this and he gives it even greater value as he goes into chapter four and verse seven, where he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. The idea there of treasure is referring to a, as one writer put it, a storehouse or a strong room for precious things or any receptacle for valuables. It's sort of like the safe. It's that treasure trove. It's that place that is where all of the valuables are kept. But where is the strong room existing? He goes on to say that it's in these earthen vessels or inside of these clay bodies. And why would God entrust to such weak vessels this very precious gift? It reveals the power of God to change lives and that it does not come from a secret or some hidden well that mankind somehow possesses within themselves. Your salvation does not originate with you. It's not a part of the American dream. I love how Paul then shows our inherent weaknesses and how we are not overwhelmed by them because of the power of Christ that is in us. As he says in verses eight and nine, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, that, that word, I was going to focus on one of those, the word perplexed. I, I, I've been to, you know, what's the word that Paul's using there and what's he meaning by that? And it's, it's a word that says that you are without solutions. It's like you cannot find the answers. You ever been a part of that in your experience of life? You ever felt overwhelmed? And it's like Paul identifies, he says, I have been in a place where I have had no answer, but I'm not in despair. Again, Paul turns these Corinthians towards their true source of power, their greatest hope of encouragement and hope itself. And he says in verses 10 and 11, again, he says, always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus. That's what this represents. We think about coming to our time of observing the communion. We carry about within our bodies the death of Christ. Why is that? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested within our body. Because Jesus didn't say dead. Amen, church? You know, we we finish the story by what Christ is doing in our existence. He says, for we who live 
are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The life that Jesus lived was a human existence. He had a body very much like the one in which we are encased. The life of Jesus was identifiable. It was his identity as a man, as unique, and it made him a part of the human existence. And Paul speaks of Jesus' death as the door to finding a newness of life, finding a purpose for life. To know our failures are forgiven and that we have a life that it can, can endure the afflictions, the perplexities, the abandonment, the abuse that comes in this lifetime. It is because Jesus suffered our death, he endured our abuse, he absorbed the failures of others, and Christ solved the perplexing issue of how we can know that we can have eternal life, and that even if in this life we have felt overwhelmed we are not left without a solution. He is our God, he is our hope, and he is our salvation. We take notice of his body, he is our salvation. This body that he gave, this body that marked his existence within our world. Take that now, that cup there. What I'd like for you to do is to open that up and take that wafer out, take the bread. Now just hold on to it for just a minute. To think about what this little wafer represents is our Savior's body. And I want you just to hold it for just a moment. Just hold on to that. And to think that in that upper room as they are taking the matzah and they're breaking that and they're dispersing that and they're taking that out and they're holding that. And when Christ tells them, I'm getting ready to give you something of significance to this. This is going to be unlike anything you've done for all of history up to this point. I'm going to now tell you exactly what you have been observing and witnessing. This is my body, which is broken for you. He says in 4.11 there, the last part of that verse, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, did you feel that? Did you notice that? Yeah. You know, there isn't anything mystical or magical about this little piece of bread. It's not going to do anything for you. In fact, you know, if anything's just going to add a little more to this, the desire for you to go home and eat a lunch. There's nothing even really in this that's meant to be satisfying. Why? Be- because this is just representative of what the fuller package, the fullness of Christ. It's, it's for us, it's sort of like, just think about what the psalmist said, taste and see how good God is. The power of Christ is not in a piece of bread. The power of Christ is in a changed life. What is different because Christ is alive in you? What's different about the way you see the world and different about the way you see yourself and different about the person beside you and the person in front of you and the person who's coming after you? What's different about you because of what Christ has done for you? And now you hold the treasure of the gospel inside of your earthen vessel. 
But does your life reveal anything different to the world around you when you compare your existence with the rest of the world? Christ declared the truth. He lived the truth. He died to offer you the truth. His body. Take it. Eat it. You stand with me as we sing together. Oh, praise the name. <clears throat> I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. My Savior on that cursed tree. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will see. in tears they lay him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone then on the third then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Oh, praise the name. sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my case transfixed on Jesus' face oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise him name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise oh Lord oh Lord our God oh praise the 
name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise, oh Lord, oh Lord our God. Oh Lord, oh Lord our God. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my soul shall the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love and my sorrows and he made them his very own he bore my burden to cow and he suffered and died alone how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how cup. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And Richard Redding is enjoying that. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, just like little McKinley did, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, and therefore being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body, to be home with the Lord. And therefore we have also as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but 
we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We're not again committing ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, or in other words, if we are insane, it is for God's sake. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And now all of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation and therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love the use of structure and clothing the way it's an interesting interplay that Paul uses to describe the difference between our, our temporary existence and our eternal one. We need to remember that each of us are eternal. But where we exist eternally is described differently based upon our acceptance or our rejection of who Jesus Christ is. Eternal life is for those of us who are in Christ enjoying the presence of God in eternity. But death is where the soul goes and it endures an eternal separation from God if they never choose to accept God's gift of love, which he offered through his sacrifice upon the cross. It speaks of what the blood identifies, life. The body is just a tent it's a coat that covers us. Nothing is very special about it except that it is the vehicle or the way to help identify and show who we really are. Our spirit that lives or dwells inside of this tent is what makes this body special or unique. It shows the rest of the world who we truly are. I've sat by the bedside of too many of my friends who have gone on to heaven. I've watched too many people leave this side of eternity or this side of life and enter into the eternal life. And by that understanding, we can appreciate there comes a point when that physical appearance, it's just like it's not really them. There's no vitality. There's no color. There's no responsiveness. There's no interaction. There's no eye contact. It's just no awareness. We think about the soul of a person different from the, even their physical, tangible, outward appearance. We think about the way that Christ showed himself by becoming human. He established his place, but it was who he truly was 
who he truly is that makes him special. And that was what his blood represented. It's his very essence, his life, his spirit, the life that he is. He is life. And in him, we have the hope of eternal life. I want you to open that last element there, the juice. The juice here represents the blood of our Savior. It speaks of his life. It speaks of his love. This is what he was willing to give for you and for me. It's what he is willing to give to anyone who will simply believe. I will give them life. Take the juice and think about what he was willing to do for you. Drink all of it. Stand with me again, please. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone. Stone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. When He shall come, when He shall come with trumpet sound, who may I then? Trust in his righteousness alone. For let's to stand before the throne. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the same.
has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. And who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace. Jesus, only Jesus. Holy King Almighty, Lord, saints and angels all adore, I join with them and bow before Jesus, only Jesus, who can command the highest praise, who has the name above all names, you stand be seated. New beginnings. Thinking about this and the sense of the lifeline. Think about the beginning of our existence as we enter in, but I think about in the spiritual way as well. That we that were dead in the trespasses and sins have been made alive because of the grace of God. For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's a gift. This is something that is not of our own conjugation. We can't create it. We cannot cause it to happen. It's something only God could instrument, give into our lives. And so we're about to enter into a new year. Happy New Year, by the way. A new year, a new day, new calendars, new opportunities, new challenges. I don't know. I'm, I'm always torn when I come to this point. Could I know what's coming? Would I want to know what's coming? 
You know, about four years ago, we stood at the beginning. This, by the way, is my anniversary Sunday. Yeah, happy anniversary to you. Uh, oh, no, no, don't go there. I did not mean that. That was off the cuff. I was thinking about this, though. You know, four years ago, if we would have known what was coming in March or April, would we have just shut down 2020 and said, we're just re- do redoing it, right? What could happen in 2024? And if our response to life is that we will hovel up and we will hide and we will scare ourselves to death, then we miss the point of what even this whole segment of chapters four and five are about. It's not about us. It's about Christ. The thing about going into a new year is that we also bring our older years with us, our older bodies, our old challenges, our old habits. They all come with us into this next year. In chapter 4 again, look at verses 16 through 18 again, just kind of look at this and it says, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, you feel like that's happening to your body? But our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Chapter 5, look at 14. It's for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Look at verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul brings us back to the very creative act where God was able to create the identifiable nature of what we call light. God is also the agent by which our new life comes into existence. The purpose for which the light was created was to give a declaration to the glory of God. And the very purpose for God saving you was to also give a declaration to the glory of God. So why are you here? Well, it was 1030, I was supposed to, no, no, I mean, why are you here? It's the classic question, right? The Socrates of life wants to know, why do I exist? All of our great philosophers want to understand what's the purpose, the meaning. And Paul gives us in these chapters our meaning. The very purpose of God saving you was to give declaration to the glory of God. And this is an individual expression. This is because Christ saves us as individuals. He doesn't save us through a corporation 
He saves us as individual people. He brings our soul liberty together, though, with what we would identify as the rest of the body of Christ. He brings us into the church, into the fellow believers, which, by the way, he has described, as he does in Ephesians chapter 4, we are part of the body of Christ. In Christ. This phrase is the idea of chapter 5, verse 17, of being united in our faith about the person and the work of Christ. It's what separates us from all other religious groups and what separates us from all, even, even some of the, those that would describe themselves as denominational offshoots is when they begin to adulterate the identity of Jesus Christ, they begin to murk with and mess with the purpose and the intent, the full understanding of who Jesus is. And when you water him down, you lose the sufficiency of his strength, his ability, his power. Therefore, you have to take him at full concentrated authority. He is Christ. He is everything. He is our life. This is a creative act that makes something out of what did not exist prior because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We had no life. We had no purpose. And we were destined to be eternally separated from God. We were without hope in this world. And as he describes it later in chapter 1 and verse 15, we were miserable. But the light of truth has shone and God sent forth his son. And this revelation of God's love went to the cross. And he died for our penalty of sin. And he offers now to whoever will believe in him the way to eternal life. As we've been looking at the John series, come and see. To every person who does that, God brings them into Christ. We have this treasure now placed within us. And one day when this life ends or Jesus returns, wouldn't it be great to celebrate in heaven next year? We gain the full benefit of that promise. Our earthly tents are going to be transformed into new bodies. And our souls will then exist in the very presence of the one who made us new. I love what he says in Revelation 21 and verse 5, where he says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write, for these words are faithful and true. What's our takeaway? There are a few verses that I would like for you to consider as you enter into this next year. It's right here in these chapters. And with them are some questions that I believe that you need to be able to answer as you enter into 2024. Question number one is this. How will I demonstrate the treasure of the gospel? And that should be in my daily life. In the life that God has given to you, how are you choosing day by day to demonstrate the treasure of the gospel that God has given to you? In chapter 5 and verse 21, he who knew no sin and became sin on our behalf did so so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we would be for the world the living evidence of a transformed existence because God did what was necessary for us to make us right. That we're right with God. And because of what he is doing in us, he day by day changes us and he takes what was old and he's making it new. We're that new creation that is being made and renewed day by day. 
and we demonstrate what is right about God in comparison to all the other little g gods that this world is trying their dead level best to please and never being satisfied by. How are you going to demonstrate the treasure of the gospel in 2024? How is it making you different? Second question. What is going to guide my decision and purpose in this next year? Wow, have we not been faced with myriads of decisions in the last several years. As people, as a church, as individuals. So what's going to make 2024 any different? So what's going to guide you when you're confronted with a choice? A lot of times I'll have people come in and they'll sit down in front of me and and they'll say, well, I've got this decision to make. And I'll say, okay, well, let's look at it. Is anything sinful, wrong? Are you in violation of God's word? No. Okay. I always say the hardest decisions that God ever has given to me are not the good and the evil decisions. It's the better or the best. What's going to guide you in those decisions? In chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, the love of Christ controls me. And having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What's best for God's glory? What's best for his status, his impression? But man, that means I won't, if I do that, I, and see, that's where the decision now comes. Is this because you want it more than what God wants? What's going to guide you in this course of life? What what controls you? What guides your decisions, your passions, your purpose for existence? Do you truly love Christ? And does Christ's love for you control you? Sometimes that's just God controlling our lips so we don't say something dumb. Sometimes that's God controlling the mouse clicks so that we don't enter into a world where our passions are going to get out of control and misconstrued. It could be in the simple little things of life as much as in those grand decisions. But do you live for yourself? Do you still think of life as something that you're in control over? That job promotion, that relationship, that addiction, that harbored hurt or that bitter attitude. What is still going to be your pursuit as you enter into 2024? And is it because that is being controlled by your love for Christ? In chapter 5 and verse 17, will you be conducting life as that new creation that you are in Christ, or will you still be trying to find your place inside of a system that is at war with God? Third question, am I living with eternity in view? In chapter 4 and verse 18, and while we look not at the things which are seen but of the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's not wrong to strive for retirement. It is wrong, though, to retire from God. It's not wrong to want to live comfortable, but it is wrong to lose your joy over your pursuit of wealth. It's not wrong to want the good things in life, except when the good things cost you godly expression. Are we living with eternity in mind? 
What needs to change as you think about your evaluation entering into 2024, coming out of 2023, and you here you are at this one last day that you have? And we all do it. We all look back on our years, and not just in this last year. For those of us that are getting into these stages of life where I'm starting to enter into, and most of us are, and we begin to evaluate, and we think about all the decisions that we've made back then and where they have brought us and led us to here. And those of you that are younger in the room, you're thinking about so many wonderful opportunities. I can remember when I was in high school, Lord, don't come back till I get married. Oh, Lord, please. And then I got married. Oh, Lord, don't come back till I have a kid. And then I had kid. Lord, you can come back anytime you want to. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? We establish all these milestones and all these like great places in our life and we get there and we have it and some of them cost us a lot and I don't just mean that in tongue-in-cheek even our children always cost us cost us sleepless nights put us on our knees a lot more often but at the same time life is just fast are we living with eternity in view for us as children of God, as believers, as those who are saved through the power of Christ, we have a whole new reason to live. Brand new reason to live in its renewed day by day. Because this old outward encasement is still restrained by the temporal, the things that I can see. It's weighed down with and it's burdened by because I live for Christ, it renews my energies, it renews my vision, renews my desires, it renews me to stay fastened to the firm understanding that for me is Adam Love, this is my path. And this is the course that God has set. And there will be choices and in them, the primary thing is there's Christ. And I'm going to be with him for all of eternity. And I want to arrive in a manner which he is going to say to all of us who get there, well done, you did it. But I want to really be able to believe it, good and faithful. Now enter into the joy that waits. This is not where the joy is. This is not where it all exists. It's with him and for Hell. Yes, we're going to suffer hurt. And there will be more losses. And then we're going to have to endure some pain. Right, Fred? On the fourth, he endures pain. Shoulder surgery. And we become sometimes overwhelmed with what life throws at us. But not to the point of despair. To being beaten down so far that we lose hope. And therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. We have Christ. We have God's promises. And we know our purpose, and in that we find renewed strength. And for us as a church, it's the mission that we have set out to have for several years now. It's Christ-like believers growing in grace, displaying the gospel. 
So let's take on 2024. And let's do it as a child of God, as the church that God has fashioned. As people who know how to live for the glory of God and not for our own glory. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray as in a moment we sing a song and we conclude in many ways our service as we think about, Lord, these things that we have experienced. Lord, we've, we've handled some things that represent a distant connection to an event that happened so long ago, but yet is still so impactful, so meaningful. That your death on that cross was not just a temporary event. It was not just a stationary, static occasion. It has had a ripple effect, a a chain effect. Lord, you have brought us into yourself through belief. We just simply believe that you are our Savior. You've forgiven me. You've taken away everything that stood between you and me. And now the God who made me has called me his child. I am yours. And you are my God. And though this life is rough and hard, Lord, I'm grateful that this is not the life that you promised but you promised to me eternal life. And that's with you. Lord, I pray for that heart that's heavy here this morning. That Lord, they would find in you the being able to be renewed day by day. I pray for that soul that here is as lost as the day they entered into this existence. They have been so resistant. They have put up so many barriers They do not want to believe that they are inadequate. Lord, I pray that you'd show them how much you humbled yourself to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, I pray for that soul that's here that's just numb. They don't really find a sense of purpose or existence just going through the motions, going through the routines. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken in them a real understanding of what it is to live for you. And Lord, what this world is missing because there's one person who has opportunity to share the gospel, the treasure of the gospel within the sphere of their influence because their life has been changed because of Christ. Lord, prepare us for 2024. Prepare us each and every day for the decisions, the events, whatever may come. Lord, let us be day by day just surrendered, that it's not about us, it's about you. Glorify yourself through us, we pray. And it's in Christ's name, amen.
became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow, this the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath we stand forgiven at the cross. And now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as his maker bows his head. people said? Amen. Amen. Let me uh, also just wish you a happy new year. It is new year somewhere. I've already seen that. Like it's already turned to 2024 somewhere. My name's Kelly O'Rear and I am the discipleship pastor here. And let me um, just put a couple of things before you before we head out. Just a reminder that there's no fellowship time today, discipleship hour, no evening studies, uh, as many of you are aware. But next week, 
We will be back to our regular schedule, so worship service at 9.30, um, fellowship time around 10.30, and then our discipleship hour at 11. So let me make you aware of something that's happening next week during the discipleship hour. We are preparing for um, three new electives that we will be offering for the winter semester. So these are short-term classes. And uh, what we're going to do is, for any of you that are interested, or for those of you that maybe aren't connected with a particular Sunday school class, in the foyer next Sunday, each of the three teachers of these electives, um, so Steve Lyons and Bill Hall and Mary Jane Bergen, will be presenting, do a five-minute presentation of this is what they're going to be studying. Uh, then you'll have the opportunity to sign up for those classes if you're interested. And... Um, also, then I will take you through a little, little time of preparing our hearts for 2024. So just be aware that's next week. Um, Awana evening studies next week will kick off as well. And then finally, as we saw the, um, the banner up here, new, uh, a new year, like new beginnings. Um, on the table back there, I have a variety of resources to help us to prepare for just meeting with the Lord, like intentionally preparing our hearts for worship and meeting with him. So there are Bible reading plans back there. Um, there are Bible studies back there. There's some one-year Bibles back there, and I'd be happy to, to chat with you about that. But without a plan, we tend to drift, don't we? Or it's harder to, to make that time to be with the Lord. So I want to help you to find a plan. So um, I'll be back there at the back table. Thank you for gathering this morning. God bless you and enjoy your New Year's Eve and your, your New Year's.